Okay, the cat and the canary. So when the uh, the name for this episode was first released, some people uh, optimistically hoped that it would have Catwoman in it. But of course, uh, Bruce Tim later disabused people of that notion, saying that the Batman characters were still off-limits. And the cat mentioned in the title was, of course, going to be Wildcat, which is fine for me, since we've already seen Catwoman a bunch of times, but Wildcat's a great character that we hadn't seen before, so I'm always up for that. Here we have, of course, uh, Morena Baccarin as Black Canary. Most people know her from uh, from Firefly, Joss Whedon's late lamented show. Um... This continues Bruce Tim and Andrea Romano's streak of casting Whedonverse actors in uh, in Justice League, from uh, Nathan Fillion as Vigilante and Gina Torres as Vixen, Armin Shimmerman as uh, uh, the guy from Doomsday Sanction, Professor Milo, several others that I'm sure I'm forgetting. This uh, this episode is also, to, to the best of my recollection, the first time that people really uh, sat up and took notice of Joaquim Dos Santos's direction. Uh, a lot of people had meant, had had commented previous to this that the episodes, the DR movie animated, tended to be a lot more fluid and a lot more dynamic than the ones that Dong Yang directed, uh, that that they animated, I should say. But uh, most people attributed that to the studio, whereas with this episode, people really began to set up and take notice of the the storyboarding and direction that uh, Dos Santos brought to the brought to the table. Get the canary cry. It's an interesting looking laptop. It's only got about twelve buttons on it. This episode also features Dennis Farina from Law and Order as Wildcat, and uh, it should be said that he's really the epitome of what Andrea Romano refers to as casting people who have voices with character. You don't get a much more uh, distinct, nuanced voice than uh, the voice that Dennis Farina provides here for Wildcat. So the whole uh, the concept of this episode with the uh, the meta brawl. Uh, cage fights and, and roulette and all that uh, can be traced back to uh, some stories in JSA written by Jeff Johns from uh, from five or six years ago where he created roulette. I don't think that the fights that she was uh, running were called Metabrawl in the comics. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but the character roulette was created by Jeff Johns for JSA and uh, she took particular interest in Mr. Terrific, and we found it at the end of the story that it was because she was actually the granddaughter of the original Mr. Terrific, although we later found out that she was mistaken about that. She was actually the granddaughter of the original Mr. Terrific's uh, brother, who was a bit of a loser, and uh, and left the kid for uh, for Mr. Terrific to raise. So, the first meeting between Green Arrow and Black Canary, who, for people who don't know, have a long 
uh, history together going back in the comics, their relationship is not purely an invention of the show. And I quite like the way it's handled uh, in the show as well. The the fact that there's a lot of lust involved and a lot of, you know, banter and bickering and, and more than a little deception is straight out of the comics. Theirs is not a storybook romance by any stretch of the imagination. I also like the fact that this episode plays up that she's a much, much better martial artist than he is. She's obviously faking it here because as soon as he agrees to help her, she throws him against the wall in a heartbeat. Originally, uh, back uh, when Bruce Timm and Paul Dini and the others were working on Batman the Animated Series, they actually wanted to have Black Canary appear there in an episode where she did, in fact, uh, appear alongside Catwoman. But that was during the time when they were doing the adventures of Batman and Robin as opposed to the original run of of Batman the Animated Series and the network executives wouldn't hear any story pitch unless it featured Robin prominently when they asked if they could omit Robin from just this one episode so they could do give Black Canary the screen time do her. They said, no, not going to happen, and they rejected the entire pitch. So, hence, this is the first time we're seeing Black Canary in a featured role. It's also worth mentioning that Bruce Tim mentioned on the message boards that when it came time to record this episode, record Miranda Baccarin's lines for this episode, Ken Schreiner, who plays Green Arrow, was unavailable. They had to add his lines in later. So to give Miranda Baccarin someone to play off of, Bruce Tim actually read all of Ken Schreiner's lines to uh, alongside her. So that must have been quite a thrill for him, given how big a fan of, of Firefly I'm sure he is to act alongside Miranda Baccarin. This episode has been criticized for not being particularly flattering to any of the characters featured. Uh, Black Canary manipulates Green Arrow because she can tell that he thinks she's, you know, really, really hot. So she plays off that and, and sort of twists him around her little finger a bit to get him to help her. And Wildcat comes off as someone who'd rather beat up a teammate of his than admit he has a problem and all this other stuff. Uh, given the fact that the characters resolve these problems by the end of the episode, it, I, I feel it, it makes for strong characterization if they'd consistently played Bla- Black Canary as that kind of character, or if Wildcat had appeared over and over and still had that problem, then I would agree. But given the fact that, you know, when you're introducing all these new characters, you have to give them interesting conflicts quickly so that the audience can figure out what their deal is and get behind them and feel some emotional investment by the end of the episode. So you need to set up these problems quickly and in a fairly uh, shorthanded manner. So (laughs) So, wannabe gangster here is kind of funny. I also like how we see everybody out of their costumes a little bit in this episode, and they have their real names in there. And they shied away from that a lot at first, but... There's a lot of it in this episode I really like. Like here, when she says, I thought I could trust you, and she just does this little pouty face in a second here. It's like, that's just pure manipulation of Ollie there, right here. Aw. That gets him every time, because he's such a... He's such a sentimentalist, and he's he's sort of... I don't want to say chauvinistic, but he's gallant, you know, uh, to, to a fault... He's the kind of person who will always, you know, open a door for a lady, and, and if if 
a woman is in trouble, he'll take the bullet and do all this other stuff, even if the the woman involved is much more capable than he is. He feels it's his duty as a man, you know. So, not to not to put him down or anything, but that's a bit of an outmoded attitude. Uh, but it's very much Ollie, so I'm glad this episode played that up a little bit. There's Evil Star, or Evil Head Guy, as Flash refers to him later. A lot of the villains in this episode I don't recognize. Uh, I'll point out the few that I do, but there's a few that are obscure even for me. Like, I don't know who that guy is, for instance. So here we see a, a photo of Ted Grant, Wildcat, back in his prime. Now, what's interesting about that photo is that the model, you know, the character design in that photo is exactly the same as a character design of a boxer we saw in the Batman the Animated Series episode, the, the episode in which Scarface first premiered, Read My Lips. The episode opened with a boxing match, and one of the two boxers looked exactly like that. So I think that was probably intentional, and we're supposed to think that, you know, however many years ago that was, probably not too many, but given the fact that time doesn't seem to pass very quickly on these shows, but however many years ago that was, that was Ted Grant in his comparative prime. So there was a little retroactive Wildcat cameo back in uh, Batman the Animated Series. The idea that Wildcat trained a lot of the younger characters is straight out of the comics as well. In the comics, he taught Batman how to box. He taught Black Canary. He taught Catwoman, who in the comics is much more of a hero than, at least these days, than she is in the animated series. I also like he's got kind of little cauliflower ears and so on like a boxer would. Or, you know, like the stereotypical boxer would. The fact that he can punch a hole in a wall here like he does in the second struck people as saying, whoa, wait a minute, the episode plays up that he's not metahuman, that he has a grudge against metahumans, and yet he can punch a hole in a wall, but I think it's just for dramatic effect. The fact that Ollie is a bit of a chauvinist is offset, I think, by the fact that Dinah is quite intentionally using her sexuality to manipulate him a little bit. That sounds a lot more Machiavellian than I intended, but the fact that both of them have their flaws and both of them are are sort of slaves to their sexuality, the fact that Dinah is using hers as a, as a tool, whereas Ollie is just sort of letting his hormones drag him around by the nose, sort of puts her gives her the uh, the upper hand in their relationship a little bit. People who think that this episode is unflattering to her because of the fact that she's uh, sort of idealized as a sex object by Ollie, I think should should think about the fact that she's using her sexuality quite quite intentionally to get him to do what she wants. So it's kind of empowering in that sense as Atomic Skull, for the first time, ends up playing a much larger role uh, later on. A few of the other characters I recognize there in the background, the, uh, the black guy with the red hood over the top of his face was Bloodsport, and the sort of cockroach-looking guy was Helgramite, but... Uh, few of the others, I'm I'm not aware of who they are. Great fight scenes in this episode. I, I know I mentioned earlier the animation, but you can feel each of these blows. And the little, the little camera shakes and blur effects are, are often overused, but in this case, they, they really work. 
cuff arrow. A little bit of green arrows theme here. There's also apparently a little green arrow black canary love theme that pops up once or twice in this episode and is used again in Double Date. I haven't made a point to go through and listen for it specifically, but it's it's there apparently if you want to check it out. So I guess I should give a bit of background information on Black Canary and Wildcat uh, while these uh, admittedly great but somewhat uh, somewhat boring to talk about fight scenes are going on. Uh, Black Canary was first created for Flash Comics number 86, debuted in August 1947, so the character is uh, celebrating her 60th birthday this year quite appropriately, as I'll, as I'll explain in a second. Um, she originally appeared as a supporting character for Johnny Thunder and his feature in Flash Comics. Johnny Thunder, for those who aren't aware of who he is, is you only see him in the background in JLU a couple of times, but he's a guy with a bow tie and a sort of a greenish suit who has the big pink Thunderbolt character following him around. Uh, so that's who Johnny Thunder is, for those who are wondering. Despite the fact that she was originally introduced to be uh, a supporting character and a kind of a potential love interest for Johnny Thunder, she proved so popular that she eventually supplanted him in his own feature, and then in turn replaced him in the Justice Society, in which he had been a, a founding member. So, a little bit of a adding insult to injury on Johnny Thunder's part there. Uh, originally, she was florist Dinah Drake, uh, retroactively, given that she was a Golden Age character, a resident of Earth 2. Uh, after her husband, Detective Larry Lance, died in a JLA-JSA team-up, which uh, occurred every year back then. Uh, she moved to Earth-1 to sort of forget about her pain and try to move on. But uh, as the years went on, and they had to kind of explain why, if she was a Golden Age character and the Justice League members were Silver Age characters, why she didn't appear to be much older than them, they retroactively came up with the explanation that the Black Canary who had been appearing on Earth-1 was in fact the daughter of the Earth-2 character that the Earth-2 character hadn't moved to Earth-1, but instead had been replaced by her daughter, who had all of her mother's memories. Weird, I know, but that's comics for you. Um, once part of the JLA, she and Green Arrow, despite some initial bickering and hostility, fell in love. Uh, when the JLA disbanded for the first time, they moved to Seattle and opened a, flor a flower shop named Sherwood Florist, uh, their relationship seemed to be off to a pretty good start, but before long, she was kidnapped by some drug runners uh, that, that Ali and she were trying to take down. She was tortured, and as a result of the torture, uh, she became unable to have children, and her vocal cords were damaged to the, the extent that she lost her canary cry. Um, soon after that, she caught Ali cheating on her, and that was pretty much the end of their relationship, at least for the moment. Soon after that, he was... He died in an explosion, though he later came back. Uh, this was a real low point in her life, and it was at this point that Oracle, Barbara Gordon, uh, contacted her and made her her field agent in, uh, in the Birds of Prey series. And it was this relationship with Oracle and Oracle's belief in her and the things she had to go through, especially once Gail Simone took over Birds of Prey, uh, Gail Simone kind of broke her down and then built her back up to the extent that she's now basically a headliner in her own right and is actually the chairperson of Brad Meltzer's new Justice League of America. Recently, uh, after reinventing himself to a certain degree, uh, Ollie, who had come back from the dead, proposed to her, and uh, they are apparently going to be getting married this fall. 
to be followed by a new Green Arrow and Black Canary ongoing series. So barring any unforeseen events, that looks like it's going to happen. Fitting, given that, as I said, it's the character's 60th anniversary, and she's now the leader of the Justice League, and going to be co-starring in her own title. She uh, she appeared, in a way, uh, given that massive liberties were taken with the character, in the short-lived live-action series Birds of Prey, and also she was obviously the inspiration for the Justice Guild character Black Siren back in uh, Legends in the first season. The idea that Wally, uh, Wally, that Ollie here would uh, would gas her and take her place, like I said, is completely in character, given his what he would describe as his, you know, gallant streak. Wildcat, for his part, debuted in Sensation Comics number one in January 1942, a comic which also featured the first appearance of Mr. Terrific and the first real appearance of Wonder Woman. Uh, her origin had been published in an all-star comics issue, but this was her first real solo feature. So that was an important comic for many, uh, in many respects. So Sensation Comics number one, January 1942. He was a boxer, of course. He became Wildcat in order to clear his name in the murder of his mentor. Um, he was a long-time member of the Justice Society. He joined. He wasn't a founding member of the Justice Society. He joined a few years in, and is still there today. At some point during his career, in an adventure which is yet to be uh, elaborated on, he gained nine lives, which was a way, of course, of, excuse, of explaining how he could still be comparatively young, although he does appear to be in his 50s or 60s these days, when, by all rights, he should be in his 90s or something. Like I said, he taught many of the younger heroes how to fight. Uh, he actually had a relationship with Wonder Woman's mother when Wonder Woman's mother traveled back in time to become the Wonder Woman of World War II. He has two sons, one of which, Jake, is thought to be dead. The other, Tommy Bronson, only debuted recently, and when it was discovered that he had metahuman powers and could transform into kind of a werecat, uh, Ted brought him into the JSA, and they now share the name Wildcat and are teammates in the Justice Society. He, of course, was the inspiration for the character uh, Catman in Legends, although there was a liberal dose of Golden Age slash Adam West Batman in there as well. This last bit here is staged, staged really well and acted really well. It's too bad they didn't bring Wildcat back because uh, Thanos Farina did such a great job and uh, they really made about an interesting character here that you, you just enjoy watching and can't really anticipate what he's going to do, but you only see him in background scenes from now on. They brought Black Canary back uh, three or four times, of course, but... The whole, um, you know, I wasn't actually dead, I knocked myself out using a stun arrow or whatever is a bit of a cheat, but it's kind of what you need to do to get to the emotional conclusion here. Roulette, of course, is voiced by Virginia Madsen, who I believe won an Oscar recently. 
despite that, uh, she wasn't above coming back to voice the character again in Grudge Match, of course. And here Dinah is, of course, calling him on his, you know, sacrificing himself for the lady and so on, like, like he does. It's actually impressive, given, like I said, that uh, Miranda Backrin and Ken Schreiner weren't actually acting side by side, that their, uh, their readings play off each other as well as they do. I would also like to have seen another episode where, if they did bring Wildcat back, that you saw him and Green Arrow uh, interacting again. Would have liked to have seen if Wildcat feels like he owes him something because of the way he turned his life around. It's quite impressive how uh, Dinah can <laughs> can use her canary cry here to bring the entire building down, and yet everybody is okay. Because it certainly looks like the place is friggin' exploding. Here, this is a great bit where um, where she's taking him to a little counseling session. That's it's like I gotta agree with Ted when he says that. Uh, all the fights were a cakewalk compared to what this is going to be like. She opens the door and there's like this really ominously lit room with these two massive throne-like chairs. Look at that. With a spotlight right in the center of the room like an interrogation room. And John's sitting there expectantly and he's expected to sit like three feet across from him. Because those chairs are pretty close together. He's expected to sit like three feet from John in these massive chairs in this really ominously lit room and talk about his feelings. Yeah, I think I'd probably rather fighting more cage matches. The other thing I like about this episode is they show that characters who aren't metahumans, when they take a beating, you know, they show it afterwards. I can't recall too many other uh, cartoons where you see a character walking around with a crutch after getting in a fight. So that's the Cat and the Canary. Great debuts for Wildcat and Black Canary, and a lot of fantastic action. As I said, it was really a, a standout episode for Joaquim Dos Santos and, and uh, got a lot of people's attention as far as his contribution to the show was concerned. Thanks for listening.